There's something about silence that makes us feel awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's uneasy. And we long for somebody or something to do something to just break the awkwardness. A few seconds of silence can be awkward. A few hours can be painful. A few years can be downright unbearable. So what do you do when it feels as if God is silent? As if he doesn't hear you? Maybe you feel forgotten. Maybe you feel abandoned. Maybe you've even felt let down because you simply feel that he just isn't there. One of the difficulties with Christmas is we step into the movie at the midway point. We know about the Magi, we know about the shepherds, we know about the virgin with child, we know about the angel, but it's really like walking into the middle of a movie. It's as if you came over to my house and sat down and episode five of Star Wars was playing, and there's a man beaten and lying in the snow, and a blue ghost-like figure shows up and says, you need to head to Dagobah to go see Yoda. Now, if you're familiar with the Star Wars franchise and the originals and the prequels, you know how that fits in. You know why that matters. You know why that's important. If you've never watched Star Wars, don't care about Star Wars, that just went, whoa, I don't even know, don't even care. And if I saw the scene, it might seem kind of cool, but I really don't get how this fits in. An angel has appeared to a man named Zechariah who is old and childless, and ministering to the Lord. And it's like walking into the middle of a movie. He's told he and his wife are going to have a child. And in verse 16, as we just heard read, that child will turn people to the Lord and go before another in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn hearts and make way ready of the Lord a prepared people. It's like picking up the movie halfway through. In order to appreciate this, let's back up to Genesis 12 where there's a man named Abram and a woman named Sarai, and they're married, and they're living in the land of Ur. And God calls them and says, even though you're old and have no children, which sounds very familiar to Luke 1, even though you're old and have no children, I want to call you to be a great nation. Come to a land I have prepared for you, and I will bless the nations through your offspring. Abram and Sarai agree, and they follow in obedience to God, and they go to a place that God has prepared for them. Along the way, he changes their names to Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham and Sarah are approaching near 100 years old for Abraham and near 90 for Sarah, and they have no children. And yet this promise that they will be a great nation is to come from them. After some time goes by, they are blessed with a child named Isaac. And God, after a few years, says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, and this is the first time the word love is mentioned in Scripture, take him to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham agrees. He takes Isaac, and they go to Mount Moriah. He takes him up the hill. He binds him to the altar, and before he plunges the knife, God intervenes and says, Stop. I know you fear me because you have not withheld your only son from me. God provides a sacrifice in the thicket. 
Isaac will go on to have a son named Jacob, and Abraham will pass away, and Isaac will pass away, and Jacob will have the promise that was given to Abraham. Jacob has 12 sons, and through a famine, they're run out of the promised land, and they find themselves in Egypt. They're there to weather the storm, so to speak, because there's no food in God's land. And they land there because one of the sons has been in Pharaoh's court for some time and has invited them down. So all of Jacob's sons and daughters-in-laws and their children head to Egypt to take shelter from this famine, to take relief from this famine. Time goes by and Joseph and his brothers die. Isaac is dead. Jacob is dead. Abraham is dead. God's people have multiplied greatly in Egypt, so much so that the Pharaoh enslaves them so that they don't rise up to kill them. This will continue for many years until out of the wilderness marches Moses. And Moses says to Pharaoh, uh, God's people need to be released so they can go into the wilderness and worship him. And Pharaoh says no. And so through his refusal, God responds with a series of plagues on Egypt, and yet Pharaoh still refuses to let them go. Until finally Moses says, there's one more plague coming. It's called the death angel. And he's going to come and slaughter the firstborn male of every household unless you let our people go. And he says no. God in his grace and mercy provides provision and says, if you take a lamb without blemish, an an unblemished lamb, sacrifice him, eat the lamb, put the blood all over the doorpost, take shelter in the house, and when you do and the death angel comes, he will pass over your house and you will be saved by the blood of the lamb. There's a lot of weeping that night in Egypt as many die. And Pharaoh lets God's people go. They head to the promised land where it is inhabited and they drive those people out and they live there for some time in obedience and disobedience to God until finally one day they say, we want a king like everybody else around us. God says, that's fine. And he gives them Saul. Saul makes way for David. David is the line of Abraham and David is told that there is one in 2 Samuel 7 who's going to come from you that will sit on the throne forever. His kingdom will have no end. After David comes Solomon, and after Solomon, if you were here last week, you saw the nation tore in half. And it was during this time we saw last week that Isaiah gave us a promise that was very familiar during the Christmas season. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The promise of Emmanuel, God with us, is given about the year 700 B.C., During the next 700 years, Israel endures many attacks and hardships. The Assyrians come in and wipe them out. The Babylonians come after them and wipe them out and then take them into captivity into their land. And so God's people are driven out of their land again. The Medo-Persians come in and beat up the Babylonians and take over. And they allow God's people to head back to the promised land. And it's during this time, about 400 B.C., that Malachi, which is our last book in the Old Testament, says this in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. And if that sounds familiar, it's because it's very familiar to Luke chapter 1 when the angel appears. After Malachi, there's silence. 
hundred years of silence. Not a word from God that we have recorded. The Medo-Persians are defeated by Alexander the Great and the Grecian army. And they will make way for the Roman army. And the Roman Empire will oppress and rule over Israel. Where's God? Where's this Emmanuel that's to be with us? Where's this Elijah that's to pave the way? Where is this long-expected Jesus? Where is this, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel? And a man named Zechariah is in the temple, and he is ministering, and the silence is broken. An old, childless man who is described in Luke 1 as righteous and blameless along with his wife is met by an angel, and God puts the world on notice that his plan, his people, his promises have not been forgotten. What I want us to think about this morning on the screen behind me is this. Christmas is a season where we can be reminded that we can have hope in the silence. Because God hears our cries and is working for his glory even when we don't see it or understand it. I want us to think about this concept in Luke chapter 1 during this account that opens the Christmas season. I can have hope in the silence because God still hears my cries and pleas. When Luke chapter 1 opens up, we're told that Luke is writing to a man named Theophilus to tell them about what he has learned when he's investigated this individual named Jesus. And he says, let's start in the beginning, in the days of King Herod of Judea. And this is the same King Herod that we see in Matthew chapter 2, when the Magi show up and say, where is the one born king of the Jews? King Herod says, you know what, let me find out. And he grabs his priest to find out and says, where is this one born king of the Jews? They said, oh, he's coming out of Bethlehem. The Magi head down and Herod says, let me know when you find him. I would like to go and worship him as well. And he doesn't want to worship him because King Herod is a usurper. He's not supposed to be on the throne. He's been placed there by the Roman government. And he wants to know where this one born king of the Jews is so he can kill him. And in Matthew chapter 2, we see a massive slaughter take place in the Bethlehem area of infants two and younger and women weeping over this because Herod wants to keep his throne. This is the days of Herod, that Herod, that a man named Zechariah is a priest. He is married to a woman named Elizabeth. They are old, they are devout, they are righteous, they are childless. And he enters into the temple because he's part of the priestly order. And the priestly rituals were divided up amongst the priestly families. There were thousands of priests and they were divided up by their divisions, and we're told that it's the division of Abijah, and it's their turn, and they cast lots within the division of Abijah, because each division has about two weeks they're responsible for the temple, along with the major festi festivals, and they draw lots, and it falls to Zechariah, and what you need to know is this is literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This will be the only time he does this. So the people are outside praying, Zechariah goes in to minister and to worship, and it is here that the silence by God for 400 years, the silence of waiting for 700 years for Emmanuel, God, to be with us, is broken. And note the greeting in Luke chapter 1, verse 13. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call him John. 
Now here's what we know about the text. Elizabeth and Zechariah are old. They're advanced in years and they're childless. Zechariah says so later on. They're devout and righteous individuals who have been longing, hoping for a child for some time, and it's been met with silence and pain. And I want us to pause and let this set in for a moment. Years of an empty womb for this couple. Years of crying out to God, why? Years of celebrating with families when little ones arrive only to go home to an empty, quiet house and weep. Years of asking, are you punishing me, God? Have I dishonored you? Disobeyed you? Disappointed you? Angered you? Why have you let me down? Years of wondering as their bodies broke down and aged, who would care for them as they got older? Who they would pass on their legacy to, their memories to? Tears at holidays as they watched their friends and family celebrate at festivities, at festivals, and hearing the laughter and giggling of the children only to go home to an empty house and weep. Months of crying into the night. Attending weddings and celebrating with people only to go home and know there's no son to welcome into your family. No daughter to kiss on the cheek and say welcome. Months of maybe this time we're pregnant. Only to have those hopes dashed. Children are a heritage of the Lord is what the scriptures tell us. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are bankrupt. They have nothing. You may not be experiencing an empty womb. You might be. Your pain may be very different but very real. Broken marriage. Strained relationship with your parents. Strained relationship with your children. Cancer. Mental illness. Anxiety, depression, abuse as a child. The list could go on and on. Years where you have cried wondering why. Where are you, God? Listen to the hope that God infuses in verse 13. Your prayer has been heard. I don't say this to say your prayer will be answered the way you want it, the way you think it should be, the way you expect it to be, but I want you to see the hope in this passage in that your tears, your pain, Your cries do not fall on deaf ears. Your loving Savior hears them. You can have hope in the silence because God hears your cries and pleas. And, this is the second thing we need to think about this morning. 
He is still working for His glory even when we don't see it or understand it or can't even make sense of it. You will have a son, verse 13. Joy and gladness are coming, verse 14. He will be great. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 15. And then verse 16 and 17. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Just sounds a lot like Malachi 4. To appreciate this, let's back up just for a few moments to Malachi 4. If you're unfamiliar with where Malachi is, if your Bible is open and you're in Luke the book before that is Mark, before that is Matthew, it's the first book in the New Testament, and right before that is Malachi. So we're at the very end of the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter 2, verses 17 through chapter 3, verse 3, listen to what God says to the prophet Malachi. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? God, where are you? Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom will seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 7, he says, God, where are you, God? And he says, I'm coming. But before I come, one is coming before me who will prepare the way for me. And we pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. I am coming. One is coming before me. I'm coming to bring justice. I'm coming to bring righteousness. Verse 5 and 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest they come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And then there's silence. 400 years of silence until this angel appears and reminds them of promise of the one who is coming to prepare the way before the one that is coming to bring righteous injustice. The Babylonians came in, Babylonians came in and ran rampant through Israel. God, why? was the cry of Habakkuk. The Medo-Persians came in and let them return home, and when was the cry of Malachi? The Greeks came in, and Alexander the Great, and they run roughshod through Israel, and, and people are left wondering, God, have you forgotten about us? The Romans come in, and, and they come in with their oppressive government and their oversight, and, and this is supposed to be God's people and God's land, but the Romans are having their way. God, where are you? Where is Emmanuel like you promised? Where is this one who is preparing the way? Because it looks like, God, that you have just forgotten us. You're not working, you're nowhere to be seen, and you look like you checked out. All part of God's plan is the Romans 
run roughshod over Israel. Luke chapter 2 will open. And in the days of Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, he issues a census to be taken. Everyone in Israel must return to their homeland for a census. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells us that out of Bethlehem will come the Messiah. In Luke chapter 2, the Roman government, where are you, God, has issued a decree. Everyone return to your homeland. And in the land of Nazareth, Nazareth there is an unknown carpenter named Joseph and betrothed to a woman named Mary who is with child. And Joseph is of the line of David and has to head to Bethlehem by issue of the Roman government, fulfilling Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Savior is born there. He walks in obedience and righteousness before the Father where we fail. Only two years later, as we celebrate each Easter, walk the road of what we call Calvary to hang on the cross. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 23 tells us that cursed by God is anyone who hangs on a tree. Paul reminds us of that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. And God, where are you in all this? Well, the Roman government is now in control, and they have a lethal method of capital punishment, and it is hanging you by a tree. All part of God's plan. Romans 3.21, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where are you, God, as the Roman government runs rampant through us? I am aligning things for my glory. The Messiah is coming out of Jerusalem or out of Bethlehem, just like Micah told us, as the Roman government pushes Joseph that way. They bring with them the, the capital punishment of a cross and cursed by God as anyone who hangs on a tree. And we read in Romans chapter 3 that Jesus Christ comes, lives. He's our, our, uh, the perfect righteousness before the Father. And he walks the road to go hang cursed, naked, dying on a tree for our sins to be the propitiation, as Romans tells us. The, 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 the wrath of God is fully satisfied in the death of Jesus Christ. He's our propitiation so that we may be right before him. We may be justified before him. We may have right standing before God. And all we need to see that when it looks like God is not working, he is at work, even if we don't see it or understand it. Years go by and people are going, God, where are you as the Roman government runs rampant? I am working. You just don't see it or understand it, but I am moving for my glory. Brothers and sisters, you have to see that even when you can't see, God is at work and you may not be able to make sense of it. You may not understand why he's allowing this at this moment. He may feel silent. He hears your cries. He hears your pleas and he is working. So what do I do? How do I process through this? Because the pain is real. I want to give us two things to think about this morning as we think about the pain of silence that we sometimes are feeling with God. 
When you find yourself in these moments, the first thing you need to do is this. You need to move toward God. Luke chapter 1, Zechariah and Elizabeth have been suffering years of pain and silence. Notice how they're described in chapter 1. They were described in verse 6 as righteous and blameless. They were still faithfully obedient to the calls and commands of God even when they felt they couldn't hear Him. They kept moving toward Him. When the angel comes to talk to Zechariah, where do we find him? My gosh, if the guy were at home on his couch eating chips, complaining and crying, we wouldn't blame the guy. We don't find him locked up in a room crying and feeling sorry for himself. We find him in the temple ministering, serving, trusting in God. It would have been easy for Zechariah and Elizabeth to say, you know what, I have served you faithfully all these years and you have let me down for the last time. I'm done, I'm out of here, somebody else can go do it. I'm checking out. And we would say, you know what, I get it. Life's been hard for these guys. Boy, I wish I could hold on. They've they've endured a lot. But we don't see Zechariah that way. We don't see Elizabeth that way. We find them diving in further and deeper with God. Why? Because in moments of darkness... In moments of where it feels like God is silent, you can't let the whispers of hell be the voice that you hear. Because when you begin to seclude yourself in the darkness, when you begin to close your circles, when you begin to just move into yourself, you begin to hear the whispers. Does God really care about you? Did he really say that? Where is he? Boy, a loving God wouldn't do something like that, would he? And it's a lie straight from hell that goes all the way back to Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve are in the garden. The serpent looks at Eve and says, did God really say that? That seems so unloving. Remember in the darkness the truths that God shows you in moments in the light. And let Scripture and God's people drown out the voices of hell that God doesn't care about you. They're still moving toward Him. They're still serving. They're still praying. Verse 13. I have a degenerative disc disease in my back. I have degenerative arthritis in both of my knees. Pretty sure I have it in my hip too. And there are days where I have flare-ups in my knees or in my back that are pretty unbearable. And I'll wake up in the morning and everything inside of me says I don't want to move. It's too painful to move. But what I know is this, and I know this, but every morning this happens, I have to fight it. I know if I move, if I stretch, if I begin to expand my world beyond my bed, beyond my bedroom... It will be painful at first, but my muscles around these areas will begin to loosen up and I'll begin to get some relief. But in the beginning of the morning, and I have these flare-ups, I have to fight the battle in my mind of just sit here, it would be easier. I would just want to shrink my world and stay in bed. Brothers and sisters, there are mornings you have to fight the lies that it would be better to stay in bed to stay in your room, to stay in your house, to shrink your circles of people who should be in your life. 
To get up and move out of bed when my back and my knees are flaring up is a painful first few steps. It's painful stretching, but as I begin to do it more and things begin to loosen, I begin to see some relief. As you move toward God, it will be painful at first, but as you expand and stretch your circles and invite people into these moments, relief will be coming from God's people and from God's word, which will be a balm to your soul. And so we move toward him, and as we do, we remember the big picture that God will one day break the silence again And we see this in Revelation 22. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has died. He's been buried. He's resurrected. He's ascended. He's walked with the apostles. And then he's ascended to heaven. And in Acts chapter 1, the angel says, he's coming back. Dear goodness, that was like 2,000 years ago. When? Right? Revelation 22 The New Testament closes a lot like the Old Testament closed. In the Old Testament, we had this promise that he is coming, in the words of Malachi. And he'll bring justice, and he'll bring righteousness. Revelation 22, verse 6, And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what will soon take place. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. And we fast forward to verse 12. And Jesus says to John, I'm coming. And he says in verse 12, I'm coming soon. He tells us again, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I'm bringing justice. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And he says, I am coming. Hold tight. Like Zechariah, like the many men and women who lived through the years of the Old Testament wondering when, like the many generations that have wondered since he has ascended when, we wait, and we wait with hope because one day he will break the silence again, and he will take us home to be there forever, and as he has promised us in Revelation 21.4 at that time, he will wipe away every tear. Brothers and sisters, I don't know where life has you right now. But if God feels silent, I pray that you would find comfort in Luke chapter 1 because what we see is that in moments of silence, we can have hope because God hears our cries, He hears our pleas, and He is still working for His glory even when we don't see it or understand it. And I would implore you to fight the urge to shrink your circle, but instead push toward Him expanding your circle of inviting those in to walk alongside you. And remember that one day God will break the silence again where he will bring justice and righteousness and right every wrong. The worship team is going to come out and they're going to lead us in our last song and I'm going to pray. As the worship team leads us in our last song, I just want to encourage you that if, as we worship in this last song, if you want to worship by sitting in your seat and just spending some time with God, feel free to take that posture. If you want to come up and pray at the altar and have someone pray with you, please feel free to come do that. If you want to spend some time singing or or praying, and after the service you just need someone to talk with, somebody to weep with, somebody just to know that you're not alone, there are people who are up at the front all the time after the service. We'd love to spend time with you. Please know this Christmas season, whatever it is that you are going through, this is the God who has loved us enough to send his son. He has not abandoned us in our moments of pain and silence. He hears our cries and our pleas move toward him. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather together to celebrate with families, to celebrate as a church family the gifts that you've given them and these little ones, as well as the opportunity we have just to worship and remember who you are and the little one that came during the season that we celebrate to reconcile us to you. Lord, I thank you for just the hope that you show us throughout Scripture that you are a God that loves his people, that loves his children, that you are a God that even when I don't understand what you're doing or why you're doing it or if you're doing it, that, Lord, you have shown through Scripture time and again that you are a God that works all things to his glory and your honor. Lord, I pray this morning that we would have courage to broaden our circles, to invite people into the pain with us as brothers and sisters in Christ, as friends, as family, to know that we're not alone in whatever it is that we're battling, that you hear our cries, you hear our pleas, and through the gift of a church family, Lord, you allow us to walk alongside each other through these seasons. Lord, if I'm here this morning and I I have never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that this morning I would take time to see that, Lord, the, the ultimate pain that I may be feeling is not from a loss of a job or this world letting me down, but simply from a, a broken relationship with you. And I pray that if, if, I, if they're here today, Lord, that they would take time to, this season, continue to move toward Christ, move toward God, asking questions, searching Scripture to ask God, are you there, are you real? And Lord, and when the evidence points to you, may we... Celebrate with them as they humbly surrender to you as your Lord and Savior. We pray all this in your Son's glorious name. Amen.